Health is front of mind for all Australians and this year the government will spend more than $80 billion on healthcare. An amount that has increased every year we have been in government. More MRI machines, more life-changing medicines on the PBS, more funding for mental health, better access to dental services, better access to hospitals and better access to regional GPs. That was Australian Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg reading the budget to Parliament. The budget is back in the black and Australia is back on track. It was a night of both wins and losses for our GP community. And the president of the RACGP, Dr Harry Nespelin, had something to say about it. Overall, uh, the budget does nothing to repair the damage that's been done to general practice over the last 10 years by successive government. And so we're still going to be looking for commitment during the election campaign to support general practice. He was speaking to our political reporter, Penny Durham. She joins us on the program today. Penny, welcome to the Medical Republic, and you're here to help us recap the federal budget. Hi, everyone. Um, yes, I'm Penny. I'm quite new to the Medical Republic. Um, yes, and I have the, the pleasure of covering politics and policy in, uh, as far as it relates to general practice. And yeah, the budget, well, I've spoken to this morning to the AMA president, Dr. Tony Bartoni, and to the RACG president, Harry Nespelon. And as I kind of expected, they didn't hate it, didn't love it last night. Um, obviously, Josh Frydenberg's first budget was very heavily focused on his projected surplus for 1920 um, and for tax relief. And, you know, primary care, it's never a big ticket item in a budget. It's not a sexy thing, not a great announceable. It doesn't feel very tangible, even though there's plenty of evidence that it is the best investment of the health dollar. Politicians always love announcing hospitals and pointy bits of tertiary care, which is obviously very important, but it's also terribly expensive. And ideally, you'd be preventing people from needing hospitals and tertiary care. So given that background, primary care is something that really deserves a lot more focus from, you know, from politics. But um, it did get a look in. It didn't get a look in in the speech, but it does appear in the budget. There is a $1.1 billion commitment to improving primary care. Yeah, so, I mean, in some ways, though, we might need a little bit of victory music out of the budget because the freeze is over. Mm-hmm. The freeze is over. And... Um, it's, it's, it is something to celebrate, although, of course, it's not nearly enough to repair the shortfall that um, general practice has experienced over the past few years. Last week, Catherine King, Labor's health spokeswoman, announced that uh, Labor, if it gets in the next election, will, would end the rebate freeze. Um, highly disingenuously, she, she called it Scott Morrison's freeze and the Liberals' freeze. Of course, as we all know, um, Labor started the freeze back in 2013 and it was continued by the coalition. Um, It's now over, which just means that um, all those uh, Medicare item numbers for GPs, all 176 of them, will be re-indexed and they will keep rising um, along with general inflation. And that does nothing to make up the estimated billion dollars that has been scooped out of general practice um, over the past six years. And um, the RICGP and others were calling for not merely an end to the freeze, but an 18.5% increase in some of the rebate items that obviously did not occur. But I guess um, the general practice has been on such a financially 
short leash for so long that even like, a bit of loosening feels like a gift. They could have gone further, they didn't. It's sort of funny when you think um, a few billion dollars to recapitalise general practice would go a hell of a long way. They've put four billion dollars into an urban congestion fund, which I'm sure is important, but you know, it, it, there would be a lot of bang for buck if even a quarter of that had been extra had been put into general practice. Another item of interest in the budget for GPs was also the chronic care payments. Yeah, this one's interesting. So um, again, as part of that $1.1 billion between the budget and the last MAFO, they've committed $448.5 million over three years starting next year for a kind of a new mixed funding model, which is what you know people have been asking for, because the fee-for-service model has its, has its upsides, but it has its downsides. It doesn't uh, really allow for continuous care. And, you know, you might know it yourself if you kind of think you might just have one question. You're not going to go through the business of making an appointment, turning to a GP and asking one question. Um, so if you were able to do that because the GP was being reimbursed a different way, then um, it might get better outcomes for everyone. So in recognition of the fact that instead of a lot of acute episodic care, many, many patients are chronic care patients. They have one or more chronic diseases. Um, this $448.5 million over three years will provide quarterly payments to GPs per patient enrolled under this scheme, um, which will allow for more continuous care. There'll now be some more uh, quarterly payments per number of patients enrolled in a practice that will enable doctors to provide telehealth, which is you know, anything other than a face-to-face consult, so emails, phone calls, Skype, chats. Th- that's been welcomed by, you know, by the AMA and by the RSCGP as a good step forward. It's not a lot of money yet, um, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, and in terms of taking steps in the right direction, uh, one group of doctors that are big winners in some ways are our rural GPs. Yes, they've committed um, $62 million to the Rural Generalist Pathway, um, which uh, particularly uh, ACRAM, the Australian College of Rural and Regional Medicine, has been lobbying hard for, uh, because currently we're very um, we're reliant on uh, doctors basically being forced into the country, and the moment that their time is up, they scoot back into the city. And it would be really great to build a rural workforce that wanted to be there, that had the special skills to deal with being in a country setting or a you know an outer regional setting, and. Um, this is an acknowledgement that that is needed and it will kind of get the ball rolling on starting that pathway off. Is there any word on how these uh, two models will be integrated with one another? So something like telehealth, which is quite important to what rural practitioners do and this new funding model for actually training generalists. Has there been any word from the college on commitment there? Telehealth is an interesting one. It's um, something that it is, should be an absolute staple of health already, um, but it hasn't. It's the only funding in the budget for it is one that's already been in place for some time, which is to help uh, victims of flooding, and uh, it really deserves a wider rollout. Um, but it has to be done right, as you and McPhee from Akron has told me before. The, you want the telehealth to be carried out by your regular practice. Um, on occasions when you can't drive through five or six hundred kilometres to get there, uh, but you do want to be talking to your doctor, you don't want to be ringing a call centre and getting further fragmentation of care. 
So nothing in the budget to expand telehealth, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but I imagine it will be part of rural practice in the future. And can we maybe actually cast our gaze also over to Indigenous health and what's happening with funding in that space? Yeah, not a lot is the short answer. There's not a whole lot of detail in the budget about that. It gets a mention in the research context. There was a small amount of money um, dedicated to Indigenous health, but not, not enough and nothing that really flags any new ideas or any progress towards closing the gap. Yeah, I think another area probably of major interest is mental health funding. I know that Headspace were a big winner last night. They got a big commitment of funding. Yes, there is a couple of hundred million dollars worth of funding for Headspace, both for extra 30 extra centres and extra services, which is great as long as those new centres are in the right places and that they can be staffed. Uh, Catherine King uh, visited Ewan McPhee from Akram's practice in Emerald in Queensland, and while she was there, she promised a headspace for Emerald. And uh, Dr McPhee was like, that's great, but how are we going to staff it? Because we do not have enough mental health staff out here. Other aspects of the package included $114 million over some years to trial eight adult walk-in centres, and uh, Harry Nespelon uh, from the RICGP thought this was a pretty curious use of money. While we're always appreciative of the money that they give to mental health, um, you know, this, is a you know, this is currently available in every public hospital in Australia, so you wonder um, why they're doing this. Um, and more importantly, if you want a sort of a, a, a raw... Um, way of measuring how efficient general practice is, that $114 million, if you gave that to me, I could probably build 57 general practices so that rather than the people who live presumably in the cities, which is where they're going to put the eight, um, they would have a much bigger footprint for the same money um, and not only would it be, uh, and it would be something that would be able to offer these patients holistic care, which is what, gen what mental health patients need, not just fragmented care. And indeed, general practice is where most, most um, mental health patients begin their treatment journey and it's the most accessible form of treatment and um, the least expensive form of treatment and the one that you can always get into. And it should be, there should be more focus on GP's ability to uh, offer mental health diagnosis and treatment. What is the government's pitch behind these walk-in centres? Why would they propose them as an alternative model? That's a good question. As Harry Nespelon says, that kind of service is actually available at every public hospital in the country. So one major cut that I noticed last night, but Penny, you're the expert on all things budget, uh, I noticed that there was a $300 million cut to funding overseas trained doctors. I imagine this is a big hit. It's, a, it's an odd one and um, I'm very far from being an expert and uh, th there is very little detail on there. It, uh, under home affairs, not even under health, uh, talks about better distribution of medical practitioners but then um, it, it, all it says about the better distribution is um, one of the big savings measures, in fact, in this budget is, yes, $296.3 million to be saved over four years uh, by reducing the planned target of overseas trained doctors by 155. 
Yeah. And I'm not even actually, I can't tell you off the top of my head what proportion that represents of overseas trained doctors, but I do know that we rely quite heavily on overseas trained doctors. And in the country, just you know, a few weeks ago, the government announced that visas for overseas international doctors would really only be offered to doctors who were going to practice in the country. Yeah, it's quite significant. That is a shortfall that we might see in the next couple of years of almost 200 doctors in mm. especially regional towns. It's um, a saving, I guess, in the government's eyes, but at what cost to delivery of service? Yeah, well, I hope, I suppose what they're hoping is to redistribute the workforce and to push some of the doctors out of the cities where they're quite oversupplied into rural and regional centres. I'm not quite sure how the mechanics of that are going to work. So, you know, we've seen some wins, some losses, a few items that haven't been ticked off the wish list yet. Going into the election in May, what are the major lobbying points going forward? Yes, well, there's still um, plenty on the table to to lobby for. and Catherine King will be on everybody's, um, everybody's favourite person for the next few weeks, that's for sure. The RACGP, as I've, I think I've already mentioned, are really looking for an 18.5% increase in rebates. And that, even if they don't get that, they will certainly welcome any real money increase in, in rebates. Um, the, the mixed funding model is, was on everybody's list as well, and I think that um, the budget has made a good step towards bringing that about. On uh, mental health, uh, Harry from the RACGP is very keen on longer consultation times allowed for in the MBS, because these consultations are difficult and taxing and complicated, and you know they need more than 20 minutes to do. Um, so he's proposing that you have sort of a few different, up to an hour long type of consultation specifically for mental health. Ewan McPhee, obviously in Akram, uh, needs some kind of plan to get more staff, more mental health staff into rural and regional areas. And uh, Tony Bartoni from the AMA, his um, priority is once you're out of the GP office, what goes on in the community? Where can you send a patient between the GP office and the inpatient kind of crisis care in hospital, um, you need a lot more going on in that middle layer in the community of step up and step down care. And we haven't seen a lot of that in the current budget. So that's a lot coming out of the coalition government last night. But do we know anything about what Labor has promised going into the election in May? We don't know all that much as far as it relates to primary care. you know, a few weeks ago, I did ask if I could interview Catherine King, and uh, she said we will have more to say about primary care closer to the election. I'm hoping to pin her down on some of those things as it is getting closer to the election, and I hope they have come up with some ideas. They have talked about a health reform commission, which would be a permanently funded body that would, I suppose, function as a kind of a health reform policy think tank for either side of government. In some ways, I guess Labor is pipped at the post uh, with their commitment to uh, the Medicare rebate freeze. Yeah, well, um, Catherine King did uh, challenge Josh Reidenberg and Scott Morrison to uh, match their promise, and they did, wisely, I think, because that would have been a a pretty big selling point uh, for Labor going into an election if the government hadn't chosen to unfreeze those rebates. Yeah, so we've got maybe a couple of hours or even a couple of days until that 
next election is called, mm-hmm. uh, so in the next four weeks. Yes, well, you'll have to watch this space. If we're to have a federal election as expected in mid-May, uh, the last day that they can call that, I believe, is April the 15th. So not long to wait. Yeah, something that our audience might also want to know, Penny, is that when you download the budget document, uh, firstly, they're an entirely able-to-be-edited Microsoft Word document, which is fairly entertaining in itself on a federal <laughs> budget. Yes, Francine, I, it hadn't really occurred to me how stupid this is, but I've got one of the budget papers open and I can write anything that I like on my screen. I don't know what I would write or who I would then send it to, but you're right, it does not seem a particularly secure way of publishing the budget papers. I was very intrigued by that, so then I uh, pulled up the uh, configuration of the document, and the most amusing part of the 2019 federal budget is that all the papers were created on Microsoft Word 2004. And that's not entirely reassuring either, is it, Francine? <laughs> yeah. I think maybe we need some more funding into tech. Yes, well, that was uh, the 2019-20 federal budget brought to you by Microsoft Word 2004. So thank you, Penny, so much for coming in and recapping the budget. It's a pleasure. And that brings us to the end of the Medical Republic for this week. But if you tune in next week, we're going to be back with Felicity and talking about the non-specific effects of vaccines. So, for example, if you're already immunised for measles, there might also be a whole plethora of other diseases that you're protected from. Tune in next week.